Remember the story of the fellow swimming and swimming and swimming after his sailboat that was, being, that was drifting away. And he came back to get his wife and couldn't find her. Because even though she was treading water, if you will, she wasn't just treading water. The current was carrying her away. And so it is in the Christian life. You can't stand still because the tide of the world and the tide of evil will move us away from Christ even if you think, well, I'm just going to maintain somehow. The one who treads water in the Christian life does not stay in the same place. We have to be fighting against it, stroking diligently against the tide of evil desires and the, the temptations that are so... we do that, we confirm our call and our election. The, the genuineness of our confidence in the promises of God uh, is confirmed. It's the promises of God by which we know that we are saved, but they are confirmed by our active pursuit of them. And we stake our lives on the promises to live like the Lord Jesus and then we get into verses 12 to 19, and Peter zeroes in on the promises of Christ's second coming. And he says, this is the prophetic word. It's been made more sure because I was an eyewitness. I had this experience with Christ, and Peter, James, and John together experienced the majesty of Christ's transfiguration, which was a picture of the majesty that he will exhibit when he comes again. And so verse 19, Peter compares that to a lamp that is shining in the darkness, a lamp in the night, the prophetic word of hope that Jesus is coming again, amen? amen. That is the lamp in the darkness. It functions much like the hot fudge Sunday did. <laughs> that lamp in the darkness allures us, it draws us, it guides us, and it keeps us on the path until the day dawns until the morning star rises in our hearts that he talked about. So really in a word, if I was to, to narrow it down, focus it all down to just a summary statement, I would say that this chapter has told us to be a people empowered by hope, to lead lives of love, to let our confidence in the coming day of joy make you compassionate in the present night. That's what Peter has been describing thus far. And this morning we come to the last couple of verses, verses 20 and 21. Let's read them together. 2 Peter 1, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray and seek God's wisdom as we enter into this passage. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for those who have gone before and those who have proclaimed and written, as it says, holy men of God moved to write as the Spirit prompted. And so, Lord, I pray that we would understand it as you intended it in this hour in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we want to do is look at the connection of verses 19 to verse 20. Now, I know I wrote in your notes that we're looking at verse 20 and 21, but there is a logical connection that gets us to 21, and that happened in verse 19 in the, in the previous verses there. 
most of the modern English versions that you will read, I think, actually make it harder to make the connection rather than easier. They all begin verse 20 as a new sentence. But verse 20 is not a new sentence. And I think the version that preserves the original is your old King James. And it says, knowing this, and not, not a new verse, but continuing the old thought, it says now, having gone through that, verse 19, so we have this prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, is a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, notice we don't stop. The thought continues. Peter is telling us now to pay attention to the prophetic word about the coming of Christ. And he uses this picture of a lamp shining in the dark place. So now you can begin to hear the connection when we boil the verses down like this. Pay attention to the prophetic word, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. So there's really a very close connection between what we know about prophecy in verse 20 and are giving heed to it from verse 19. So what exactly is the connection? And I think there's two possibilities. Let me give them to you. First is verse 20 may give the reason why we should give heed to the prophetic word. So we could paraphrase it this way. Give heed to the prophetic word because you know, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. That's one way we can read that, the reason that we should give heed to the prophetic word. The second possible connection would be that verse 20 tells us not the reason why, but the way in which to give heed to the prophetic word. So we would paraphrase that, give heed to the prophetic word by remembering this first principle, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. So here's Peter, and he's given us uh, a couple of options, it seems. Either he's telling us the reason to pay close attention to the prophetic word, or he's telling us how to pay attention to the prophetic word. You say, well, what difference does it make? Well, it makes a difference because we need to determine who's interpreting what. See, before we can understand verse 20, we need to figure out what Peter means by no prophecy of Scriptures of any private interpretation. Or as the Revised Standard Version says, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Let me mention three ways that this verse has been understood. And then I'm going to narrow it down for you, and I think you'll see what Peter intends for us this morning. The first way is uh, from a number of evangelical scholars, well-intentioned, excellent men, who say that verse 20 has absolutely nothing to do with our interpretation of Scripture, but rather it has to do with the prophet's interpretation of history. In other words, when Peter says... No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. What he means is no prophecy ever came from the prophet's private interpretation of historical events. Rather, as verse 21 says, prophecies came from God through the Holy Spirit. So the connection to verse 19 would be give heed to the prophetic word 
because no prophecy is a mere private human interpretation of events. It's from God through His Spirit. I know I'm getting your mind. You say, what in the world is he talking about? This is a very persuasive argument, but in my mind, not quite persuasive. Here's a second interpretation, and this would be from the typical Roman Catholic uh, interpretation. They have generally said, no, it does not refer to how, uh, uh, rather, no, it, it does refer to how we interpret uh, prophecy, not how the prophets interpret history. And the point would be that no individual should interpret prophecy, but rather they should look to the pronouncements of the church to interpret it on their behalf. Now, until about 30 years ago, the Second Vatican Council, kind of, that kind of thinking is what kept the Scriptures concealed in Latin, kept the average uh, Catholic layperson woefully ignorant of Scripture. Much of that is changing now. But in this picture, and, and still much in, in that faith uh, community, the church gives credence to the Scripture instead of the Scripture giving credence to the church. That's a big difference. And it's really the same old problem of back in the Reformation. And in practice, the ecclesiastical traditions, not Scripture, was supreme. And I want you to be very aware that one of the hallmarks of our faith and the Protestant faith is that church and its ministers, prophets were, were, were prophecies that came from God. They just twist them to suit their own purpose. And therefore, since Peter is concerned in this letter with false teachers who twist the meaning of Scripture to fit their own desire, their own occasions, the most likely meaning of verse 20 is that the prophetic Scriptures may not be handled this way. No scripture, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. It means that no individual is entitled to interpret prophecy. Not entitled to interpret scripture generally according to his own personal whim. So that leads me to a question, how should we follow the word of God? How should we respond to it and heed it? Well, now that we can see the connection between 19 and 20 more clearly, when Peter says, give heed to the prophetic word as a lamp shining in the dark place, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, he's saying, pay close attention. Pay careful attention to the prophetic word. And here's the first principle that's going to guide you in how to pay attention. And the principle is that the true meaning of Scripture doesn't come from the mind of the reader. It's important for us to understand today. That's why I want to try to make it very clear to us today. Let me put it another way. The principle that should guide our attention to Scripture is that the Scripture is objective, not subjective. The, new, the meaning of Scripture doesn't change with every new reading of it or with every new reader. It cannot be twisted to mean whatever we like in a given moment. The Scripture is what it is. It is unchanging. It's unending. Jesus said not one jot, not one tittle, none of the slightest marks in the Greek language are going to disappear until all has been fulfilled. 
So the per first principle in giving heed to the Scripture is that there is a true meaning and there is a false meaning. And we have to submit our minds to search out what is really there rather than presuming that whatever pops into our mind at first reading is the true meaning. Now, I've got to look for my notes because I think there's probably something up there for you. Seek God's meaning, not man's meaning. So that's what verse 21 is telling us. And the reason that we can't treat Scripture as though its meaning is whatever somebody wants it to be, interpretation of Scripture is not a matter of personal whim because Peter said no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man. The origins of the Scripture were not man's ideas. Nobody sat down and said, I think I'm going to write some Scripture today. It wasn't Moses' idea. It wasn't Daniel's idea. It wasn't Jeremiah's idea. It wasn't Peter or James or John's idea or the Apostle Paul. It was God's idea. It was God's idea to put it down, and it was God's ideas that flowed through these men when they put it on paper. None of this was man's idea. Now, God did use man's personality and style, but it was God's ideas that were being put on paper. God intends that Scripture carry out His intention, His ideas. So the meaning of Scripture is not like taking putty and molding it according to our desires. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, and it carries a solid, firm, divine intention. And I think the truth of this verse is that in Scripture, God has spoken. And not merely man has spoken. God has done it. And therefore, as verse 20 says, our aim is to know God's meaning, not merely our own. You ever been in one of those Bible studies? They pass around a Scripture and the question is, so what does that mean to you? That's nice. What does that mean to you? And everybody gives their meaning. And I think we'll see in this that that's not what God has in, in mind. It is good to get in the Word and study and understand it together, but we need to find out what it means from God. Now, you might ask, how does that apply to you? That would be an appropriate question. But there's only one meaning. So let me try to show how verse 20 and 21 fit into the chapter as a whole, and then we'll draw out a few implications for our lives. And I think Peter's main aim in chapter 1 is to help us confirm our call and election from verse 10. He wants us to enjoy the assurance of our salvation. And as a means to that end, he reminds us that the genuineness of our faith is proven by whether it produces all of these virtues. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. But he also reminds us that God has already given us the power needed to live in that way. We don't have to go out and do it on our own. We just have to respond to God's promptings in the circumstance. And he's told us that this power becomes effective in our daily lives as we pay attention to those precious and great promises that He has given us in Scripture. So, inasmuch as our heart is content in the Word of God, in the promises of God, we are guarded against sinful allurements and we're drawn into the path of righteousness which leads to eternal life. And where are the promises found? 
Where, where do we go when, when hope is low? Peter's answer in verse 19 is the prophetic scriptures. Do you need encouragement that the day is going to dawn? That a life of self-control, patience, brotherly affection, and love, and all these things is really leading to glory? Then go to the scriptures. Go daily. Like they say, go deep and go long. When you go, remember this first. These are not mere words of men. These are the words of God. Men moved by the Holy Spirit of, uh, spoke from God. So seek His meaning and you'll find the lamp of hope. As the Apostle Paul said, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that by the steadfastness and encouragement of the Scriptures, men might have hope. So when you look around the world and you say, well, everything's falling apart. It's unstable. We don't know what's next. We go to the Word of God and we have hope because we do know what's next in God's timetable. So let's make some implications of this. I'm going to take three words and just develop out of those words, I think, some things that we can apply. And the first word is discipline. Suppose that maybe you are a platoon leader and you are behind enemy lines and you're trapped and your commanding officer somehow smuggles a coded message to you to inform you of how you're going to escape, what do you do with the message? Do you hand it around to each guy and say, what do you think it means? Let's take a vote? I don't think so. You, you don't want everybody's collective impression. You don't want to just flip a coin. You have to decide what it really does mean. So you sit down and you labor and you study it and you break the code because the impression of the platoons are not what matters. The mind of your commander is what makes the difference, is what is going to help you escape. So the interpretation of the message has one aim. What did the commander desire and will to communicate? And to that end, you submit yourself to discipline. You remember how you practiced and how you studied to break a code. And then you analyze it and you construct it until you have the assurance that the meaning is what has been found. And then you stake your life on it, right? So it is with God's Word. God's intention comes to us in human language. God's intention, what He intends to communicate to us, comes to us in human language. Men moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke. They spoke in Hebrew, in Greek, in Aramaic, in the original languages. That's how it came to us. So now we have a job to understand those languages and that culture. And then we have to translate that into our language and our culture. But we have to understand what God intended for those people at that time. How do we know the mind of God? Well, God has ordained some in His family and some outside of His family to submit to the disciplines of mastering the code of the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic. And I've got books all across one whole shelf of my office that break the code, as it were, 
people that have deciphered what these words mean and how we can translate them effectively into our language today. But even the English, as we look through the Scripture, is kind of a code, isn't it? Not always obvious at first reading. And so we discipline ourselves to understand the context of Scripture, the history of Scripture, so that we can know what God meant, and then we can apply it to our circumstance. The more disciplined we are in bringing the meaning out of Scripture, instead of pouring our ideas into Scripture, the better we will understand God's promises. And then the more power we will have for godliness. There's one thing I know in my own life, the more I understand about God, the more I can relate it properly to other people. The more I relate properly to other people, just in daily living. The second implication comes to us in the term humility. If you believe that the Bible is the Word of God with authority in your life, it takes a good deal of humility to interpret it correctly. Why is that? Well, it's simple, because the Bible often tells me to do some things and to think some ways and to act towards people in ways that don't come naturally for me. Maybe that's true for you too. I don't know. <laughs> it's against our natural inclination. And therefore, the only person who will own up to these uncomfortable teaching, teachings is the humble person who is broken and open before the Lordship of God, ready to do what he says. The proud person will still want to will give lip service to the Scriptures, but he'll end up twisting it to fit his own desires. And in the long run, sound interpretation comes from a broken, contrite spirit. Because... A humble spirit is not trying to implant itself into it. It's simply seeking what God is trying to communicate to me. There's a final word. Humility is a fruit of the Spirit. So we need to understand the Spirit of God. We have a need for His assistance. Jesus said that He would send the Comforter. He would send a teacher who would guide us and teach us in all truth. We have a great need of the assistance of the Holy Spirit when we read the Scripture because if He's not able to overcome my proud heart and my rebellious nature, we'll never submit to the uncomplimentary truths of Scripture. We'll avoid them. We'll distort them. The work of the Spirit is not to add to, add new information to the Scriptures, but to make us sensitive and responsive and submissive to the Scriptures as they are. It was through men moved by the Holy Spirit that God spoke the Scriptures. And therefore today it will be people yielded to the Holy Spirit who hear the voice of God most clearly in the Scriptures. And therefore we need to give heed daily to the prophetic word with all diligence, with all humility, with a reliance on the Spirit of God. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own private interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Father, thank You for clarity of Your Word, for understanding. Thank You that You were willing to communicate to us Your great love. And it is in love that You have told us these truths for our betterment. Sometimes they go against our nature. 
Sometimes they are difficult to respond to, but we know that you have done that not to be punitive, but to enhance our life, to make us more useful to you and more effective in the lives of those that we live with and around. Lord, I pray that we would submit ourselves fully and completely to the truth of your word, knowing it comes from you and knowing that you intend it as it is. Lord, if there's those in our fellowship in our midst this morning that don't know you as Savior and don't have the benefit of the Holy Spirit to guide them in truth, I pray that today they would humble their own heart and mind before you to receive the forgiveness that you offer and the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide, to make them acceptable to you, pleasing to one another. Guide our thoughts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.